Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast, my weekly podcast where I speak to the leading chief investment officers of South Africa's major asset managers. I pick their brains about their perceptions of the market, how do they differentiate between noise and market signals, and we also discuss which shares and assets they are buying and selling. My name is Rijk van Niekerk, and my guest today is Sonja Sanderson. She is the Chief Investment Officer at Momentum Investments. She has been in the asset management business since 2000. She started off as a researcher at PSG. She later moved to Advantage Asset Managers and then she jumped to Momentum in 2010 and she became the CIO in 2015. Sonia, thank you so much for joining me. I bet you get this question a lot. How many female CIOs are there in South Africa? Yeah, there are quite a few, but it's also true that I think the industry is typically underrepresented from a female perspective. I think that's not just unique to South Africa. I think that's a global phenomenon, but there are quite a few. I mean, if I think of Perpetua, for instance, Alexander Forbes as a female CIO, I should have made a list beforehand, but yeah, there are quite a few in the market, actually. Yeah, well, that is good to see. But let's talk about markets, especially the local market. Uh, over the past few weeks, I've spoken to several of your peers, and the majority actually stated that they've increased their exposure to the local market as they perceive it to offer more value than many international markets. Are you in the same boat? Yes, we actually are pretty positive on SA Inc. and South African stocks in general from a valuation perspective. Some of our funds we invest according to passive smart beta as well as externalizing some of our funds to external fund managers. And then we monitor it on a top level. So from that perspective, yes, we are generally positive on equity local and global actually. We are a little bit worried about volatility, but yes, we're generally positive about South Africa. We've seen a, a significant underperformance of the JSE during the Zuma years, um, the last decade, the 2010 to 2020 decade. And then we saw the market crash early last year, but then we've seen this really significant recovery of the JSE and, and it even was relative to international markets, um, it outperformed actually quite well. But over the past few months, we've really again seen some underperformance relative to international markets. Are you concerned that we may be a bit of a value trap given what has happened over the past decade or so? I think there could be pockets of value traps in the market. Um, I don't think the JSE overall we need to have that fear on. Overall, I think there's been strong performance over the last year, but we also saw a lot of volatility where there's growth in the system and reasonable valuations. We, we understand where those returns came from, but there certainly also are a lot of risks and questions around what's going to happen around the vaccine rollout and whether we see any potential new variants and what that is going to mean for different companies. But overall, I think there may be a couple of examples where we need to worry about the valuation. But overall, I think we were just the beneficiaries in South Africa of a fairly loose monetary policy that affected uh, markets globally and that we were the benefactor of the last couple of years. Let's talk about the positives. Where do you see value? I think there are quite a few places. We still believe, despite what happened the last year and where we're at, we still believe that there's good value in the likes of a first strand, 
we actually quite positive about Implats and Anglo. So some of the banks, some of the resource companies, MTN and APSA, we've got quite heavy weights in as well in our portfolios overall. So from a valuation perspective, I think all of those companies are well positioned. They've kept their reserves and they're well positioned to perform better in a post-COVID world. Most of those names you've mentioned are in the financial sector. Now, obviously, COVID-19 has hit that sector particularly hard, um, especially on the banking side last year when massive provisions were made. It seems uh, at face value, at least, that they may have been too conservative. Do you think that that aggressive approach towards provisions impacted valuations in a significant way? I think it would have affected some of the companies that made provisions for it to a large extent. And and certainly, I mean, if I look at some of the companies that we talk to, they are even provisioning and being more conservative on maybe a fourth and a fifth wave coming. So there are quite a few that are making quite severe reservations for a future world as well. And I do think that is something that could be too conservative, but I think it's it's actually a sober approach. So we do like the fact that we like management teams that think through a cycle, but that also spots the risks that are coming. And yes, I do think some of those reserves would have affected the valuations in the past, but I think it's probably the most realistic approach for the future as well. Are you holding on to those shares at the moment or are you you know, reducing or increasing your stakes? No, we're pretty much um, holding the same positions. We haven't rotated the portfolio significantly. And as I said, it's probably more of a function of the way that we construct portfolios from an outcome-based perspective. We look through a cycle. We look over the long term. We don't make too big a tactical call on those positions. And by virtue of implementing through different style factors and the way that we believe those factors will be affected from a market cycle perspective, we don't have to chop and change and tune the portfolio too often. So you are not too actively changing portfolios at the moment. You, you've made your decisions and now you, you wait like good long-term investors. That's right. I mean, obviously on the margin, you do need to stay close to the views in the market and if anything changes from a valuation perspective. But overall, we think we're quite well positioned for the next cycle and even a fourth and a fifth wave, as I said before. I'm looking at a list of all the momentum funds. And I must say there are three and a half pages full of (laughs) momentum funds. How many funds do you manage? Look, as a house in momentum investments, we've got various cycles and styles that we try and solve for because we believe, as I said, from an outcome-based perspective, you get different types of investors and they all have different needs. So from that perspective, we do have quite a few. In the equity space, for instance, we solve for valuation-centric portfolios from a value-equity-centric perspective. And we also have a quality portfolio that look at more quality companies from a South African perspective. And then we also follow a bit of a trending strategy. You know, what are the trending portfolios in the market? So all of those talk to different styles or risk premiums in the market, if you will. And we know that they show different risk return dynamics over time. And as a result, all of those you can almost see as a as building block towards creating a solution with different moving components over time that is sustainable over different cycles. Many of the funds have different classes. I see virtually all the, the funds have an A, a B or a C class. What, what are the main differences between those classes? 
Yes, we typically manage exactly the same portfolio. When it refers to different classes on the unit trust side, it actually means that we are simply solving for different client sets from a different fee perspective. I mean, for institutional clients bringing bigger scale and bulk, you can imagine that there's a price discrimination as a result of that. And then for certain of our partners within the group, I mean, Momentum's own agency force and our financial planners and so forth also have specific agreements uh, in place for fees and things. So it's exactly the same portfolios, but based on the type of investor and, and a fair discrimination based on the assets that they bring, different classes that solve for it. So it's purely on that level that it differs. I'm looking at the Momentum Equity Fund. It's the fact sheet for until the end of July. The portfolio size is 3.6 billion and it has outperformed the benchmark, which is the capped Swix index. From what I can see for over the past 10 years, the fund has really performed well. And if I look at the top holdings of the fund, they are the top international exposed companies in South Africa. NASPAS at the top, the biggest uh, holding in the fund, Anglo-American then MTN, BHP, Billiton, First Rand. You know, apart from First Rand, those top five holdings very, very exposed to their international operations. Is that a theme that you actively explore? Definitely. We, we do think that diversification from a South African perspective helps us also, as I said before, because we believe in quality as a style. And therefore, the Rand Edge stocks and, and companies that's got the global exposure is something that we specifically monitor for in our portfolio. So when we do our market risk analysis and we understand what our exposures are, we specifically take that into account. And yes, so I'm not at all surprised that the top five looks like it's got the global exposure. That is uh, deliberate positioning on our behalf. Why would you buy Anglo-American in South Africa and not in London? The regulation, 28 reasons normally. Um, it's not that we can't buy it in London, but from a South African perspective, it forms part of local regulated re regulation 28 portfolios. We, we track, as I said before, certain styles in the market. Now, that being such a big dominant share still, I mean, even after how the market has evolved the last five to ten years, it is still a particular stock that you would want exposure to to not take too much of a tracking error risk relative to the to the market to the south african market so we always start off from a liability perspective we say well what are we trying to achieve we decide which benchmarks in combination will get you to that outcome and the liability as close as possible and then we decide right if you've got that benchmark, how far do you want to deviate from that benchmark? And sometimes it's very big and you can take very active positions, not benchmark cognizant. And in other instances, you do have to be more benchmark cognizant. Now, in that particular example, you do want to have Anglo. First of all, it is a good stock. It does have good valuations. But you also, because it is such a, a big stock in the South African market, it is something that you will typically find in a portfolio and not just buy it from a global perspective. Yeah, you also have BHP uh, in there, which is also listed in London, as well as British American Tobacco. But uh, if Regulation 28 did not apply, would you still buy those stocks in South Africa as opposed to in London? 
Yeah, I think it, it, it depends on what you're solving for. Again, if you just ask me outright, you know, where's the best place to buy it? No, there's, there's lots of logic to buy it from a London exchange perspective. But for us, in a solution and in the experience that you're creating for a client, you definitely do need to take the wrapper, the legal vehicle, the tax regime of the investor into account, as well as then whatever regulatory framework you're operating within. And hence the reason why you see stocks the way that you do. But yes, there's definitely lots of logic to buy Anglo from a global perspective on a basis that you don't have any other constraints under which you need to operate. Then I'm looking at your small and mid-cap fund. It is small, 170 million, and it has underperformed a bit over the past few years. But over the last year, it has gained 52%. The benchmark, which is the also the SWIX index, uh, only 21%. It has performed significantly well over the past few months. Um, and the main shareholdings are Royal Bafu King, interesting um, uh, company Quilter, uh, Impala Platinum, um, Alviva Holdings, Karoo. Uh, how patient should one be when you look at a small and mid-cap fund? Because I think many investors would have been really disappointed until a year ago, and now they would be smiling as if it's the best investment ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sometimes patience is a virtue. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, look, overall from our philosophical perspective we do believe in being patient with fund managers with stocks with with management teams but I, I don't think there's a perfect answer to that I do think it depends on the specifics of the company what the management team's approach is you know what whether you believe in their approach what their plans are how long or short or long term you think those plans are going to need to play out over time and therefore, I don't think it's necessarily something that we put a time frame to. We do look at our, all of our funds through cycles, as I said before. So we don't try to be too tactical about it. But I, I don't think there is one silver bullet answer to how much time you need to give it to, to really come to fruition. Just lastly, there are many political and economic clouds hanging over South Africa, we have uh, a governance uh, issue at uh, government level. And there are really uh, many, many worried people about the fiscal position of South Africa and what can and will happen in the future. How do you foresee equity markets to react over the short and, and medium term in reaction to some of those risks I've mentioned? Look, I do think there's always an element of risk to the downside that we do need to be careful of. But I also think that looking at most of the risks for the rest of the year, we foresee that to be the global vaccine rollout, how that affects global sentiment. As I said before, whether there are any new variants and resistance to the vaccine, that then means that inflation could be getting a hold in the developed economies, requiring central banks to tighten their monetary policy. And if that happens, of, of course, our view could change about what happens from a South African perspective. But I do believe that our companies from a valuation perspective, even despite those shorter term risks, are for the longer term in a good position I do think that despite the risks locally from a governance perspective, as well as all of the fiscal challenges that, that you mentioned that we are facing, 
I do think that we are in a good position to perform well and therefore we remain positive about SA Inc. Sonia, thank you so much for your time today. That was Sonia Sanderson. She's the Chief Investment Officer at Momentum Investments.